Well, good morning again, and a happy Father's Day to those of you who are dads here, and happy Father's Day to those who might be watching or listening online. Um, It is a a great day to celebrate uh, not only our earthly fathers, but also our heavenly father today. And I have to admit that when I watch a video like that, um, not only do I find some inspiration, but as I shared with you before, I also feel some conviction because I wish I was the dad that always takes time to do things longer so as to teach, but I'm not always that patient, and so on and so forth. And the truth is, dads, the point today is not to make you feel horrible about ways that you could improve or have maybe messed up in the past, but instead to be reminded that Christ has forgiven all those things, and then to think about how can I be who God wants me to be moving forward. And with that sort of inspiration and idea, uh, we begin this message. So um, on March 5th, a dad named Sean Cunningham got an early birthday present for his eight-year-old son, Landon. And the birthday present was that he was going to take Landon to his first major league baseball game. And so it was a game between the Atlanta Braves and the Pittsburgh Pirates. His dad got seats just three rows behind the Atlanta Braves dugout, just awesome seats, and Landon had just an awesome time. Well, about midway through the game, one of the pirate outfielders named Danny Ortiz, he was up to to bat, and he swung at a pitch and missed, and the bat came flying out of his hands. And the bat ended up heading right towards Landon. Now, if you know anything about a situation like this, it's very, very dangerous, obviously. A year ago, a lady got hit by a bat at a Red Sox game and has still life-threatening injuries that she's dealing with. So this was not a good situation. And as that bat came flying towards Landon, the other thing was that Landon was on his phone, you know, you know, not surprised, right? But no, he was texting his mom a picture of their, their wonderful day together, and so he didn't see it coming. But then something happened as it was on its way. You know what happened? Dad happened. Because dad was sitting right next to Landon, and he stuck out his, his arm, deflected the bat so that it wouldn't hit Landon in the face, but just barely grazed his shoulder, and everyone was okay. And in fact, the reason why this is such a well-known story maybe you have heard about it, maybe not, is that a photographer caught the, this awesome picture that began to trend all across the country. Here's the picture. Isn't that just amazing? That bat did not hit his son because dad happened. And when I look at a, a picture, an amazing picture like this, First of all, I would like to think that I would have done exactly what this dad did and not go like, you know, this or something like that. But the other thing that I I see in this picture is, is this very easy to understand, you know, fact. Dads make a difference. (laughs) Dads have the opportunity, even at a baseball game, to make a difference. And not only does a picture like this play that out, but statistics share that. In fact, there's some pretty startling statistics about kids who grow up without dads. Uh, I I have just four of them for you that resonated with me. So, first one. Did you know that 90% of all homeless and runaway children come from fatherless homes? Nine out of ten. 
Next one, that 85% of all children who show clinical behavioral disorders come from fatherless homes. That 71% of high school dropouts come from homes of families that didn't have a dad involved. And that 85% of youth in prison in the United States are people, kids, who didn't have a dad at home. Dads, you're needed. Dads, you make a difference. Dads, not only do these statistics bear it out, but when God created the family, he shared the importance of fathers. And in fact, he said that the role that a dad has, that a husband has, and we don't have time to go through all the ins and outs of that, this is a, that's a different sermon, but is to be the servant leader of the family. Guys, we, we've been given an awesome responsibility and privilege. And here's what I know about you. You don't just want to be present. You know, th- there's, there's a, a certain amount of, I guess, benefit of just dad existing, dad just being there. Which dad just wants to set the bar and I'll be there, Right? If you're anything like me, and I know you are, we want to aspire to more than that. We want to be, well, a good father, like our heavenly father, right? And the reality is, your kids need that. My kids need that. Our families, our our marriages need that. Here's our first fill-in for today. If you haven't yet taken out your insert and would like to follow along with it, now would be a good time. That a healthy father is important for a healthy home. A father just being there is important. (laughs) That doesn't always mean a healthy home. But when a father is healthy, so often, spiritually, physically, emotionally, so often then the home, almost always, the home is going to be more healthy as well. And that's why we need to take time like today to speak to all of you, but to have special, I guess, encouragement and application to the dads because it's that important. Now, Two disclaimers before we start. If you are someone who is currently growing up in a fatherless home or grew up in a fatherless home, you might be very much scared by the statistics that I just showed you. You do not need to be scared. Because here's what I know. With Christ in your life and a Christian, a group of Christian people in your life that love you, you can buck the trend of those statistics easy with God, our Heavenly Father, as an important part of your life. The other disclaimer I'd like to share is that not all of you here this morning are fathers or are going to be fathers. And so you might think, you know what, I'll just tune out or check, you know, my email for a while. Here's what I want to say to you. Is not only is it important for you to better understand what a Christian father looks like, but in fact, the things we're going to learn today are also things that are very much applicable to you as well, whether you're a mom, a wife, or a child. So with that, we're going to just peer in just for a little bit into the life of a man in the Bible who doesn't have a single word recorded in the Bible that he said. We know he spoke. The Bible just doesn't record anything he said. And yet, he has so much to teach us in a moment in his life (laughs) that was so so critical 
and so, so difficult. I don't know if I've ever preached on the account of Christmas, Jesus' birth, in June. But today I am. We're going to look at Matthew's account of Jesus' birth and with special attention to Jesus' earthly father, in essence, his stepdad, a man named Joseph. So here's how the Christmas account begins by Matthew. This is how the birth of Jesus, the Messiah, came about. Jesus' mother, Mary, was pledged to be married to Joseph. Stop. So what this means in the yellow most similarly to our uh, time would be that Mary and Joseph were engaged. And I just want you to think back, if, if you're someone who's married, think back to that engagement time. And isn't it just like this, most of the time, like, so easy? It's like this almost utopia, because, you know, you don't really have all the realities of life that have yet affected the family, but instead, you have your whole life to look forward to, and you're thinking about all the dreams and the goals that you have together, and that's a good thing, you know, we're going to have a nice house in a nice neighborhood, I'm going to have the perfect job that's going to allow me the perfect home and work balance, and we're going to garden together, and we're going to exercise together, and we're going to walk hand in hand on the beach every year as we travel together, and it's just going to be just, you know, lollipops and gumdrops. And, the, and most of us have great marriages, but it, it's not always that easy. And the thing that we never factor in during the time that Joseph was, you know, in that engagement time, is all the challenges and the struggles that are going to happen. I mean, when we're goal setting, we don't think about, you know, lose my job in the fifth year of our marriage, or that we're, we're going to have to battle infertility, or, or miscarriage, or depression, or financial difficulties. And yet the reality is, those things happen. What was Joseph up against? Next verse. But before Joseph and Mary came together in a physical way, she was found to be pregnant through the Holy Spirit. Joseph finds that his fiance, the woman that she loves, he loves, is pregnant, and he knows because of this factor that they haven't come together yet, they haven't had sex, <laughs> that it's not his. Now, Guys, I don't think any of us have it on our vision board, you know, wife gets pregnant out of wedlock, you know, as you think about the future, right? No, that, that is not anything that would have been on Joseph's dreams or his thinkings about how life would go, and yet, and yet here it is. And I'm sure Mary and Joseph had conversations about it. And for those of you who know the account of what happened already, um, you know, you know the reality. We'll share it in just a little bit, but I could just imagine Mary trying to plead with Joseph, you know, no, really, I know what it looks like, but an angel appeared to me, right? And I know what it looks like, but God said this baby is from, from me, from God, and, and he put it in me, and I've been faithful to you, and I love you, Joseph. And I mean, that'd be a hard thing to believe. That'd be a really hard thing to think that could be a reality. And Mary was telling Joseph the absolute truth, but I don't blame Joseph at all for not believing her. And we know that he didn't believe her because of, of what he did next. But before I get to that, I just want to say that I cannot think 
of a more emotionally charged situation. There might be some similarly, but more emotionally charged situation than in a, a supposed affair or the, the love of your life becoming pregnant and you know that it's not yours. I can't imagine all the, the mixture of emotions that would be going through Joseph of, of you know, sadness, anger, frustration, all of it in that moment. And what does Joseph do? Verse 19. Because Joseph, her husband, was faithful to the law, so he was a, a righteous guy, and yet didn't want to expose her to public disgrace. He was a loving man. He had in mind to divorce her quietly. So you know what Joseph could have done? You know what most guys would have done? You did this to me. I am going to give you the worst of what there could be for you. And in that time, in that era, that would have been death. That would have been stoning for a person that would have looked as if she had committed adultery. And yet Joseph doesn't do that. All these emotions going on, and yet he decides to divorce her quietly. And I would just say that in such an emotionally charged situation, there's something to admire about Joseph there, isn't there? When you think about how little he knew about the situation, there is something that I admire about how Joseph reacted to a very emotionally charged situation. You know what he displays there? Dad's self-control, patience, even when emotions are rising high. Our next fill-in is this. Fathers lead better when they lead with self-control. Fathers will lead better, just like Joseph, when they lead with self-control. Moms will be better moms when they mom, mother, with self-control. <laughs> we all are going to do things in a more godly way when we do things with that fruit of the Spirit called self-control. Self-control, it makes me think of Tuesday night men's league basketball. Uh, I've got so many illustrations from my years of playing there. Like I could do a whole sermon series where I just use illustrations from men's league basketball, but I won't do that. But I am going to share one with you. So uh, about 10 years ago, a little longer than that actually, is when we kind of started playing over there. And, you know, you think I'm competitive now. I was worse then. At least that's what Finders tells me. So, um, and, and so... Be, wanting to win and running into to guys who maybe are taking this a little bit too seriously, you know, because I'm certainly not one of them. Um, there is times where emotions get pretty heavy. And, and there was about 10 years ago or so a guy that just, he, honestly, he was kind of a bully on the court and I just was, you know, didn't like it. So we had a discussion. And whenever, you know, you put discussion in quotes, it means it wasn't a discussion. It was more of a, you know, a yelling thing or at least loud words. And, and so that happened. And I said some things that, you know, not swear words or anything like that, but just was just being stupid. And so about two hours later, I'm at home, you know, and dad's home and you're around, you're surrounded by your kids. And, you know, it's like, you're a pastor dad and, you know, all this. And I'm thinking like, did I just do what I think I did two hours ago? 
And, and I thought about how the impression that was made, not only to my friends who also happened to be members of Bethlehem and, and the things and how I reacted, but also to the other team and knowing that I'm a Christian, that I am a pastor and how that reflected on things. And I'm like, I wish I would have just stopped for a moment and thought. Because when we react emotionally, people see it and it has an effect. Fathers, no matter what age your kids are, you have eyes that watch you. And they adore you most of the time. And it is so good for us to remember that the things that we do even in emotionally charged situations or the potential for that, teach our kids some things. Has an effect on them. And how good it is for us in those moments to react like Joseph with self-control. So how are we going to do that? Here's my suggestion for you. (laughs) When you feel emotionally charged, press pause, okay? Don't do anything. And ask yourself this question. It's our next fill-in. What is the best way to react to this situation? Not what's the easiest, not what's the most natural, not what's the way to get my point across as forceful as I can, but what would be the most loving, best, from a human perspective, effective way to react to this situation? And remember I told you at the beginning of the service that this has been a convicting week for me? This is the point that's been convicting for me and the one that I pray for God's guidance on in my life. But what would happen if we pressed pause when the kids left the toys out and you told them to put them away, when the the bed is not made and it's the hundredth time? Do they deserve some discipline? Absolutely. Do they deserve correction? Absolutely. Our kids do. And And we're not good dads or moms if we don't. But could there be ways that we could do it better? than when at times we react so emotionally and let our anger and frustration get the best of us. Now, this is easy to ask the question. You know what's hard? To do it when you're not at church. When you're in the middle of that situation. When you're a mom and you've had a long day and yet they're still not listening. This does not come naturally. And that's why I have such a hard time with it, too. But can I give you some encouragement? You and I have a heavenly father (laughs) that did exactly this. So when the world was created, God made it absolutely perfect. No sin, no disasters, no death. Perfect. It's paradise. God then gave Adam and Eve a way to show their love for him. And it was to follow this one rule. Don't eat from the tree that's in the middle of the garden. And likely within weeks, most likely less than years later, Adam and Eve ate from the tree that they weren't supposed to. God's perfect creation ruined. So God, the Heavenly Father, comes down to his children, Adam and Eve, as the Bible tells us, and asks, what's going on here? What happened, right? As if he didn't know. And Eve blames Adam, and Adam blames the snake, and, you know, it's, it's just like this runaround, like, blame game, which when my kids do that, I, 
I don't like that either, right? So things are ruined. They're blaming everybody else. And what does God do? What does your heavenly Father do? Well, would there be punishment? Yeah. Did they deserve punishment? Yeah. But you know what God the Father did before he punished? He loved. Before you get to the verse that talks about the punishment for sin is this verse in Genesis 3 that says, in essence, I've got a plan for you. I'm going to send my son to crush the devil's head. I love you. And yes, there's consequences. But I want my love for you to come out. Now, I know we can't ever do that perfectly, but man, aren't we blessed to have a Heavenly Father like that? One that ended up sending that son through Mary, who died for us. And through that sacrifice, we also have what a wonderful example of a God, our Heavenly Father, whom we can pattern our love and self-control for our families with the self-control that he's already shown to us and love. (laughs) One last thing as we um, close out these verses. Verse 20, one more point of application. So after Joseph considered this, an angel of the Lord appeared to him in a dream and said, Joseph, son of David, don't be afraid to take Mary home as your wife, because what is conceived in her is from the Holy Spirit. Now, that does not make any sense to Joseph, I'm sure, okay? But he continues, verse 21. She will give birth to a son, and you're to give him the name Jesus, because he's going to save his people, the world, from their sins. And so all this took place, Joseph, to fulfill what God said through the prophet Isaiah, verse 23, that the virgin will conceive and give birth to a son, and they will call him Emmanuel. Now, you and I have the benefit of reading what happens after this. In a lot of ways, we understand the whole account of Jesus a lot better than what Joseph did in that moment. What he's being told is that God put this baby in Mary's womb and that she hasn't been unfaithful and that she's still a virgin, that she's saved herself for him and And then Joseph is left to make a decision. Am I going to listen to God and follow him and take Mary home as my wife, or am I going to do what would probably be easier? Because you know what would be harder? To marry a woman whom everyone else thinks committed adultery. All the the social ridicule that could take place. It would have been easier for Joseph to cut his losses But if he did, you know what he wouldn't be doing? He wouldn't be following Christ, following God. Verse 24, what did he do? When Joseph woke up, he did what the angel of the Lord had commanded him. And he took Mary home as his wife. And he did not consummate that marriage until she gave birth to a son. And he gave him the name Jesus. So Joseph... That father and husband is left with this decision. Do I lead my family by following Christ or do I cut my losses and do what I want? What's easier? What feels better in the moment? And what Joseph did 
as he followed God's direction, even though he didn't quite understand how everything would exactly work, I'm sure. Which brings us to our last encouragement. Fathers lead best when they follow Jesus closest. The best way, dads, husbands, you can lead your family is by daily following Jesus as closely as you can. Moms, the the best way you can mother your family is by following Christ closely. The best way you can live your life in response to what Jesus has done is by following Jesus closely every single day. You know, this is an interesting dynamic. You know, oftentimes we think of leading is the opposite of following, but most of you know that the the best leaders follow. (laughs) You you ever heard the phrase that uh, leaders are readers? Why? Because they're following. Or here's another example. Um, This summer, hopefully our family is going to head out to Colorado for the first time, and and I could decide to, to lead us out there and on excursions by just, you know, figuring it out myself, right? I've never been there before. Or Carrie has an aunt and uncle that has lived there for 20 whatever years, and Or I could lead by following their lead, listening to them. The best way you can lead your families is by listening to Jesus and his direction for your life. And whether that be making sure that the family is in church often, has home devotions, a part of a small group, serves people, serves the Lord. There's many ways to do it. But there is no better way than the example that Joseph gave than to lead by following Christ closely. You know, families often have a a culture or uh, are known for something. Like, uh, you know, we're a a musical family or we're a sports family or or we're a a camping family or we're we're homebodies or we're a fishing family or a hunting family. You know, all these different things. (laughs) None of those are bad. What would happen if every mom and every dad was 100% sold out for the idea that when people look at our family, the first thing they're going to think of is that's a Christian family. That's a family that follows Christ more than anything else, and they prioritize and schedule around it. That's the way Joseph started his family. And by God's grace, I pray that it's how we respond on this Father's Day. Dads, again, we're not going to get it right all the time. I don't say that as an excuse. I say that to soothe your conscience to know (laughs) that you and I are forgiven. But what an awesome opportunity we have, starting right now, with God's help, to lead better in a godly way. Let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you first of all, that we get to call you dad. And Lord, we thank you for all of the blessings that come with that, confidence of knowing that you're always with us and and protection in all things, physical and spiritual. Lord, I also thank you for the dads in this room and would ask that each one of us recognize that there is nothing better we could do with our lives than to influence in a godly way with the gospel the children entrusted to us. 
And so we ask for your forgiveness and also for your strength to do just that. We pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. At this time, our ushers will be gathering our offerings as weekly we have a chance to give back a little bit of what God has given to us. At the same time, if you are a guest with us, do not feel as if you are obligated to participate in the offering. Um, This is uh, certainly something done purely out of response to what Christ has done. Last thing is if you could fill out one of those connection books in the rows, that would be appreciated. And I guess there is one more thing. Um, This summer, as many of you know, we are trying a different way of uh, distributing communion. And so uh, just like two weeks ago, uh, it'll be kind of a a continuous flow type of communion where there will be a wine uh, person handing out the the wine at uh, each side and then someone with the bread um, on each side of the the front. And uh, the ushers will direct you uh, and you will receive the bread and then the wine and then go back to your seats. Just uh, follow Jason, because he'll be the first one. So, all right. Thank you. At this time, I would invite uh, those assisting elders to come forward and to uh, just stand in the, the front here so I can commune you first. Our Lord Jesus Christ, in the night he was betrayed, took bread, and when he had given thanks, he broke it and gave to his disciples, saying, Take and eat. This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. In the same way, also, later in that meal, he took the cup, gave thanks, and gave to them, saying, Drink from it, all of you. This cup is the new covenant in my blood. Shed for you for the forgiveness of sins. Do this whenever you drink it in remembrance of me. In just a moment, I would invite uh, those confirmed members of Bethlehem and other churches in our fellowship to come forward to receive the, the blessings of this meal. Please wait for the usher's direction. Yeah. 